Good one today. In this episode, Jason and I finish our talk on the 24th chapter of Monopoly Planner, All Roads Lead to Rome. And the last point that Kevin Kelly makes in his book, New Rules for the New Economy, is that the chief chore of the connection economy is to restore the symmetry of knowledge. We also enter into chapter 25 of Monopoly Planner, which is all about what you really sell. Most people don't have a clear understanding of this, and today you'll get really good and bad examples of this in action. You're listening to Digital Bacon FM. This is the Weekday Brunch. Good morning. My name is Jason Black, kicking us off. The man of the moment, the master of all things marketing and lots of other things, Stephen Barnes. Good morning, sir. A very good morning to you, sir. And uh, I have to commend you, given that you've changed the time slot on me this week. I was able to hear you. Uh, that very invigorating sort of, you know, intro to the show. And whilst that was uh, rumbling on, I was running up and down inside my apartment, waving my arms up and down, just like, you know, how Mick Jagger does before he uh, starts the show. I was uh-huh. just doing that, you know, grooving <laughs> to the beat. And, uh, you like it. And here I am, all ready to go. Yeah, yeah, it was really, it really got my hormones bubbling, that one. What may surprise you is that I mixed that myself. Well, I take my hand off to you, so you've got uh, another uh, creative uh, it was fun uh, string to, to your query. Yeah, string to your bow. Well, good for you, lad. What I won't be able to tell you is how long it took because I had to learn how to use the same uh, Audacity program and then put layers and layers and layers in. Uh, it was fun to do. No, good. No, no, I, I recommend you for that. That got, my, uh, that got me moving. A string to my bow and nothing to shoot. <laughs> so, an arrow in your quiver, young man. An arrow in your quiver. Yes. So, talking about quivering, we're moving on to uh, all roads leading to Rome. Still finishing off today, there, and then moving on to the next well, chapter. Well, yeah, yeah. Let's do that because we're at um, module six of uh, the material "How to Build a Monopoly from Nothing with No Money Invested," which is uh, essentially derived from the ideas enunciated in the uh, the video of the same name. Uh, and uh, ten cha- ten modules, uh, thirty six chapters on chapter twenty four, um, talking about how you can create a proposition that will ultimately mean in your monopoly building endeavours, uh, literally all roads will lead to Rome. You know, and metaphorically, no, metaphorically, not literally, metaphorically, mm. where basically everyone is beating a path to your door rather than your competitor's door because of the way that you've you know developed your proposition and acquitted yourself. Uh, in um, you know building a position in the marketplace mm. uh, and sort of you know the underlying well, well what I, what I came to understand about this uh, was dri- was really driven from the learnings that I took from uh, Kevin Kelly's book um, uh, New Rules for a New Economy uh, where he discusses a number of changes and uh, you may recall a couple of shows ago. I explained that when I first read that book uh, in 2010, I think it was, uh, knowing that it had been written in 99, I believe it was, uh, you just had to look at the 10 years that uh, had passed since the book was written and seen that it actually, you know, um, Christie's crystal ball had, had made uh, it really come true. Mm. So uh, it then seemed to me that uh, the things that it was projecting as to, you know, what was going to happen. Uh, in years to come, uh, it helped me really sort of 
crystallize my thinking about what my proposition should look like. So we've been talking for the last couple of weeks on um, about this stuff. Um, I think last week we talked about privacy being uh, sort of a conversation. It's not a customer obsession to date. Mm. Rather, it's a way to cultivate a genuine relationship. And I explained how we um, have done that in the Hong Kong Visa Center and how we quit ourselves there. Uh, and then the last sort of um, point that he makes in his book, New Rules for a New Economy, is, uh, and this is absolutely apt for, for me, um, is that the, the chief, chief chore of the connection economy is to restore the symmetry of knowledge. Now, um, you know, in, a, in an environment where scarcity is the order of the day, then um, access to expertise and knowledge clearly uh, retained its value if it, if it was a scarce resource rather than an abundant resource. Mm-hmm. And before the internet came along and allowed everybody to become a publisher, it was now impossible for um, anybody to, you know, really project their expertise publicly in a way. So uh, the abundance dynamic never really came to play. It was always sort of married in scarcity. So uh, with the connection economy giving the ability for uh, abundance to be the order of the day, then it begs the question: Well, okay, what what what? What what does that mean for, you know, people who are experts and for those who are looking to access, you know, that expertise? Um, And so the connection economy, according to Kevin Kelly, uh, is really the importance of it of it is is to maximize the unique talents of individuals by means of all their relationships to many others. So so really what this means is um, if you've restored the symmetry of knowledge by sharing your IP and know how making it available to absolutely everybody for free, then what ultimately does that leave you with in terms of your, you know, the remaining value? Uh, Have you destroyed, have you shot yourself in the head by giving all your IP away for free like that or or something else? You mean you've got nothing from a value perspective? There's nothing left to sell. Well, one might, one might think that. So the question is, you know, if you've given all your stuff away for free, why would you do that? What, what, what was the redeeming value? Mm. So once you've restored the symmetry of knowledge by giving your IP away for free, then essentially what you're left with is leveraging the unique talent that you have that gives credence to, or rather credibility to the material that you shared with everybody. And knowing that those people that are accessing, you know, your documented knowledge and know-how, um, they may very well need to uh, take a lot more away from uh, what you have to offer than is just contained on your websites. Mm. So this was um, this was a complete eye-opener for me when I came across this with um, uh, with Kevin Kelly, you know, uh, what seven eight years ago. Um, because back then I knew that you know there were the power of free was one of those things that Peter Thiel says where you know what's that one thing what 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 do you know to be completely true about the market that nobody agrees with you on um, and if you've got that Peter Thiel says you've got you know a kind of a, a secret that you can um, leverage and and, and and bring to a sort of you know one situation from the previous having being zero and, and thereby having a monopoly. And so I knew that the power of free back in 1996, you know, represented it is what it is. But still today, most people don't sort of understand that. Okay, so um, it, it, let me ask you a question about, it. you know, we, we, we go back in time to when you started and where you are now. 
do you think if you had have not adopted the the uh, the power of free that you would be in the same position or a better position or a worse position today? Um, well, you got to understand. We're going we're to decide when we start counting back from because I made the decision to adopt the power of free in 1996. Hmm. So I could say to you that the power of free was the harbinger of all the success that I've had in my career, both the early success, uh, which sort of peaked in the year 2000 before it all started to go downhill because I was an idiot for a decade. Okay, let's, let's um, do the visa center then. Yeah, well, remember when I, I needed to save my ass coming out of almost bankruptcy with the Australian tax office chasing me around the state, uh, wanting to know when I was going to pay, pay all my outstanding taxes. And I had absolutely nowhere else to go but staring bankruptcy, you know, squarely in the face. The, the salvation that I had that I, that I knew, you know, ultimately I could, well, I didn't know whether I'd be able to crawl out of the hole in time, but I knew I could get out of the hole if I had enough time. Um, was to, in a sense, start all over again like I'd done in 1996, which is to put all my knowledge and know about Hong Kong immigration on the internet. Because in the intervening period, the guys that I'd done the deal with for my last immigration practice, um, they had left the Hong Kong Visa Handbook languishing for five or six years without an update because uh, they didn't have the intellectual nous in the practice to, to actually update it, believe it or not. So what had been... A complete strategic asset for that practice has become a complete liability because um, my, um, uh, let's say, ex-partner, so to speak, um, didn't really know, you know, the power of all of that. Mm -hmm. So when I um, started the Hong Kong Visa Center, there was nothing on the web. The content competition was just pathetic, really. So, so I thought, right now, what I do is I got to, I got to document what I know just like I did in 1996, but this time because you've got so much additional bandwidth and processing power and the tools available, I was going to produce an extremely compelling, you know, 10 times content proposition and, mm. uh, and away we went. So, so yeah, so back to the power of free. Yeah, I mean, I knew that that was going to be my saving grace and, uh, and that's how uh, with the Hong Kong Visa Center uh, adopting that technique, we've, you know, grown from strength to strength because it, it works and it's just, what Kevin Kelly is actually articulating here in point seven of uh, uh, the new rules for a new economy slide. And then the new chapter for today. Yeah, moving on. So we've kind of dealt with uh, the idea of uh, all roads leading to Rome. Um, and now I want to sort of, you know, open the, um, the cookie jar, so to speak, mm. uh, and then ask the kind of, you know, big question as to, you know, what you're doing in your business or what your planned proposition is. And that is, you know, what do you really sell? Most people who are in business think that they're selling one thing, but when you do an analysis of what is actually happening in that transaction on the buyer's side, the buyer's actually buying something completely differently. Mm. So uh, what, do I, what do I mean by this? Well, what do we do? Well, when you think about a, an immigration practice, a law firm that does it or immigration consulting or whoever is at it, your normal response to that business and what's being sold is to kind of conclude that what you're really buying is a visa label in a passport because that, you know, is, is what manifests as a result of you doing your job successfully. Um, and kind of like avoidance, as I couch it, avoidance of queues at the immigration department, sort of the convenience that, well, as you've couched earlier on today, you know, the chocolate on the pillow service, right? Mm. 
So what you're really doing uh, in the immigration space, when you really do a deep analysis, it's not that you're buying avoidance of cues at the immigration plant with a visa label and a passport. What you're really buying is peace of mind. So if you understand that you're selling, if you understand what you're really selling, you can then sort of, you know, put yourself in the shoes of the customer and say, okay, so I know, for example, that in Hong Kong immigration, customers buy, is, is actually buying peace of mind from us. So because I know that, what can I do to deliver at every step of the way in the transaction that's going to result between the two of us to actually deliver peace of mind? Um, and so that's an incredibly powerful way to um, you know, consider what your ending proposition might look like, given, you know, all the capabilities of the modern internet. Uh, and as we have, you know, experienced the Hong Kong Visa Center, we, we sell, we sell peace of mind to actually, as it happens, the individual immigration services client, because there's kind of two, 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 two customer threads. There's, there's the corporate world and then there's the individual immigration world. So in the individual immigration world where the customer's paying their own fees, um, you're selling peace of mind in the corporate immigration space. Ultimately, what you're doing is, yeah, for the applicants who's part of that experience, you're, you're sort of delivering peace of mind to them, but they're not paying the bill. Uh, the company's paying the bill. Uh, and the guys that have got an interest in sort of the corporate immigration um, uh, decision, if you will, uh, are not only the applicants in the family, but the HR director, the CFO. Uh, and the poor schmuck who has to do the paperwork, the staffer. Mm. Well, when you sort of analyze their motivations for dealing with you, you realize you're not selling those three types of individuals. You're not selling them peace of mind. What you're selling them is the ability to blame us if something goes wrong. So because we understand that, you know, that's what people or what companies are buying in the corporate world, then we've been able to engineer a complete proposition out of that, uh, recognizing that ultimately we're selling the ability to blame us if something goes wrong. Okay, and so that's where a Hong Kong visa shaper product comes in. So if we had so, to, so yeah, if we had asked the question, are all visa um, companies created equal? Then are they not all selling peace of mind, or are you just finding a different way to market the same end result? Yeah, I, absolutely. We're all selling peace of mind. I would suggest that most current industrial economy immigration service businesses don't anticipate that that's what they're doing mm. or if they are uh, if they have anticipated and, and and have concluded that they are selling peace of mind they haven't changed their business models in any way to you know um let's say deliver a, a more more compelling or a better value laden sort of experience where you're delivering that peace of mind they're still doing the same old stuff that they were doing uh, what I was doing 25, 30 years ago when this profession really took on sort of an individual sort of the shape of its own as it morphed out of law or accounting or, you know, other sort of business consulting. I, I suppose in, in my field, it would be all restaurants sell a full tummy at the end of the day, but it's about the experience before the full tummy that really matters. Uh, that's interesting. I, uh, I think, I, I think, when I go and eat the full tummy results, I don't think that's what I'm buying. No, sure. I'm I mean, that's, that's buying, what you're getting I'm at the end I'm of it. I'm definitely buying, I'm buying, I'm buying the experience, right? Mm. Yeah, I'm definitely buying the experience. Yes. Not all, not all full tummies are created equal. No, especially not when they come out of your kitchen, sir. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh -huh. So, um, so yeah, so we're, we're, we're basically selling, as I say, peace of mind and ultimately blameworthiness. Um, so let me give you some sort of examples. I mean, we know that, 
um, what customers are really ultimately wanting to get from you is that uh, a solution to the job to be done that needs to get done, um, or they're looking for some sort of experience that will enhance their lifestyle in some way. Um, so, like for an example, for example, uh, when people get together to buy beer and pizza, um, if you sell beer and pizza, what you're doing is you're selling good times with friends. Um, if you are in the jewelry business and you're selling, uh, you know, jewelry, what you're really selling is not a rock on a rock on a finger or a thing around your neck. You're, you're selling staying chic and looking fab. Mm-hmm. Um, beauty cream, what are you selling? Confidence and looking great. Uber, what are you selling? Getting to your destination on time. Hopefully. What are you selling? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you selling at Disney? Promotion of happy families and lasting memories. I can absolutely tell you, you know, I took my kids on a Disney cruise in 2006, just before my world went to hell in a handbasket. And uh, what Disney delivered to us for those four nights, five days that we were with them around uh, the Bahamas and the Caribbean uh, stayed with us. And I th- I'd say there's probably... As, adult, as an adult family now, each time we gather for big holidays and whatever, invariably the, the, uh, the Disney Cruise experience is going to come up. Hmm. So there's no doubt that uh, they made us happy uh, at the time and they gave us memories that have lasted and continue to last. Um, Airbnb, they're selling sort of a feeling of home wherever you travel. Uh, and then Dropbox, uh, they're selling uh, basically the convenience of having all your information in the cloud, but ultimately the security, knowing that you've got permanent backup. That, the, okay, so you've mentioned a variety of brands, and in within within um, that space, there are a variety of providers. What has made each of them stand out? Is there a common thread that has made all of them better than the others in a in a connection economy sense? Well, I mean, I can only really speak to sort of Uber, Disney, Dropbox and Airbnb, right? And Mm. they're all individual zero to one type operators. Um, And so, you know, they knew what they were selling ultimately and they engineered the proposition around that. Um, And it'd be interesting to actually sort of, you know, check the the annals of um, Uber's sort of fundraising history and Dropbox's and Airbnb's fundraising history, because usually the, the, the decks that they produce, which is sort of usually a 10 slide PowerPoint presentation that uh, the chief executive of that business will, will present to uh, parties that are interested in investing in the company. Normally, they will you know, start off by saying what it is that they sell. Um, interestingly, after the product has been manifested and it's all out there in the market, whether Uber are selling getting to your destination on time today versus what they thought they were selling at mm. the time that they were raising the money to manifest it. Uh, it would be interesting to see how the two sort of, you know, um, how, how one has morphed into the other. I think uh, I think Disney's um, promotion of happy families and lasting memories uh, invariably, um, you know, has been uh, has been at its DNA really from from you know day one. Just the mere fact of what they were doing was zero to one-esque. Mm. Uh, so, uh, and, and is it is it a cultural what? thing, trying to find the emotional trigger that makes us purchase things? For example, if you have a WhatsApp, which is, let's call it a Western product, and then you have a look at a copycat, which is created in China, which does the same thing, um, do you think they use the same emotional pull, or do you think they look at it in um, a different way? 
I, I think I think ultimately it depends where your budget is, right, and what you want to, what what you think you can afford, and what sort of status you want to acquire from, you know, the the, the brand uh, and the um, association with the brand because you possess, you know, a bit of their stuff. It's the old, you know, there's plenty of um, in China bags that are produced, luggage is produced that looks looks like Louis Vuitton. It's not cop, it's not fake. Looks like Louis Vuitton. Um, and you know, for those people that want to have a sense of the uh, the cachet that goes with the Louis Vuitton brand, knowing that they're not actually going to get it because it's not Louis Vuitton, they would buy something like that, right? Mm. And that's a function of budget um, and obviously what your quality expectations are. But say, so, say, if you look uh, at China as a market and you say, right, they're going to exclude a particular brand from overseas and then have one of their own companies create something very similar. They've got to roll it out to a billion people, whichever way they go. Well, yeah, that's right, indeed. And if you look at the way that the Chinese technology market has uh, emerged, they they refuse to let the Americans dominate that that market, right? Mm. And so you have all these homegrown uh, businesses that are that are that are providing exactly the same functionality as the Facebooks and the Twitters and and what have you. Um, and they've uh, and, it, and WhatsApp too, but uh, actually, then you think about um, WeChat, and that's that's taking mm-hmm. the, the sort of the WhatsApping type experience to the whole to a whole new level again, right? Uh, so I think the Chinese have been very smart because you know there's a big enough market there to sustain Chinese consumers, and ultimately, Chinese the market is so big that like it is in America, once the market becomes fully mature, it'll just be a self-consuming market and it and only um only Chinese companies are going to benefit out of it. And will they so so yeah. Will they be following a um a connection economy business model or do you think they just copycat and say, right, roll it out? Oh well no the the, the Chinese t- t- took took the ideas um from America and essentially because it's just technology and, and ones and zeros, they're able to uh, emulate uh, those good ideas, but then materialize them in the Chinese context, which is why WeChat is from a, as a platform messaging uh, app is, you know, far superior to everything else that, that, that the Americans or Europeans have come up with. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Right. Moving on to, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, I think uh, I think we're probably about done for uh, for what we have to say today. It's a nice natural break between what we're going to talk about next week. All right, and where are we heading? Well, next week we're going to look at the um, how you sort of drill down on your thinking about how you can conclude ultimately what it is that you're selling. So, so kind of a strategy that you can adopt to. Uh, end up with the kind of thinking processes that are just that are, that are actually inherent in the conversation that you and I have just had. So uh, we'll do that next um, next uh, next time out and then talk also about um, finding the job to be done and making sure that you sell that because if you can get those two things together, uh, you've got a winning proposition. I look forward to it. Good, sir. You have an absolutely awesome weekend and we'll catch up next Friday. Digital Bacon FM. I can't tell you how happy I am that you stay with us this far, as it means you're that much closer to forging your own monopoly.